Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayam at Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Vayikra, The Sin Offering, and Whoopi Goldberg. I once heard of a synagogue in Chicago that on Yom Kippur, what they would do is they would tell people to write down something sinful that they did during the year and put it on a piece of paper. And then they would put the piece of paper in a big barrel, let's say, or some container. And the rabbi would reach in when they came to the Vidui, the Ashamnu prayer, and they would read the, the sins that these people committed, right? I was unfaithful to my wife. I cheated on my taxes. I, needless to say, uh, that created quite a stir, right, in the community. People were like, whoa, I'm not sure I want to go to that synagogue. <laughs> right, as if it's unique. I, I think the general sense was, well, I, I'd like to keep my sins between me and God, thank you very much. I'm not right. sure I want to advertise them to the universe. Of course, you would be different than that, I'm sure. I, I can see you standing up and... I'd like to hear them all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, the voyeur of... Uh, right. I'd say keep going. Let's hear all of those. Yeah. What I want to suggest to you is that our manner of offering up our sins in very general terms and privately is really a function of Western thought as opposed to how the Torah actually understood the process. Remember that in the temple, a person had the opportunity, the average Israelite, or all Israelites, had the opportunity to come to the worship space, originally the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and later the temple, and offer sacrifices for a whole variety of life experiences. You could offer a free will offering if something wonderful had happened. You could offer a peace offering, depending on the situation. But there was also the chatat, there was the sin offering. And when you would offer the sin offering, you actually would stand publicly to make this offering. And there was some form of confessional. The offering would be given. And the idea would be that you had confessed your sin publicly and at least between you and God, you could go forward and that the crime had been paid and you could go forward. Now, they had civil courts as well. And if people had to pay fines or other other punishments, those had to be dealt with. But the public facing of sin and the public facing of this idea that you paid your debt and could move forward is very much a part of the temple experience. And I don't think that we actually have that in our society anymore. And I think it's an interesting issue. We have a piece of it. We have the, the public part. Like, you know, these sins get exposed, but we don't uh, seem to know how to deal with them except for this uh, tendency to just judge and dismiss. But the, the forgiveness part, the moving on part, we seem to have a, we seem to have a harder time with. Right. I mean, how many times have you read of some expose on somebody and the first thought is, oh, he's toast. She's finished. Right? Yeah. And it only takes one slip. It only takes one stupid thing. And we all say stupid things. We all do stupid things. But it only takes one, one silly mistake or one, even if it's a serious mistake. And the feeling is that you're done. Right? The word everybody uses now is canceled, cancel culture. Um, and, and cancellation has a very permanent 
sound to it. I, I'd be curious about it from your perspective. I wonder, you know, who wants to be a rabbi these days to have that kind of scrutiny? Every sermon, every public remark you make um, is an opportunity. And you're supposed to be giving your opinions. You're supposed to be um, challenging, you know, your congregation. But, um, you know, every word out of your mouth is the potential for controversy and for cancellation, to use the uh, the, 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 the trendy term for it. You know, it's interesting that you say that. I, uh, there was just an article published in the Jewish Telegraphic Agency that spoke about the fact that the rabbinate is a shrinking profession. Not only are rabbinical schools getting smaller, but rabbis are leaving the profession and going into other areas, psychology, consulting, all kinds of things. It's Hollywood. Hollywood, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's a huge market there. The reality is, is that the rabbinate is a shrinking profession, and for those reasons and others. There are many congregations, for instance, that will tell the rabbi, you can talk about anything, but not Israel. Right. We don't want you talking about Israel from the pulpit. Right? There's like there's an old joke about that, where a rabbi goes to try out at a congregation, they're interviewing him. So on he gets up on the he's about to speak on Shabbos, and the president of Shul is sitting next to him and says, You know, you're doing a great job. We really like you. What are you gonna talk about? Because if you're going to talk about Shabbat, you know, I, I would I would advise against it because our people, you know, they work on Shabbat. Sometimes they come to shul, but they don't like hearing about that. So I, I would leave Shabbat out. And a minute later, the president of shul says, hey, by the way, if you're thinking about talking about kashrut, you know, our people like eating in restaurants. So I would leave that out. And this goes on and on and on. And <laughs> right. finally, the rabbi says, well, what, you don't want me to talk about Shabbat. You don't want me to talk about kashrut. And you don't want me to talk about mitzvot per se. Well, what do you want me to talk about? And the presidential said, well, Judaism, of course. Right. So this is, you know, it's, it's a joke. But what makes the joke funny is that there's, you know, a little bit of truth in it. We do have to watch our words. And part of the issue here isn't so much that the words can be difficult or challenging. We are so quick to judge and we have drawn the line so carefully about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And we've politicized this to such an extent, there's no chance of having the follow-up conversation. And I think that's a huge issue in our society. Take Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg is a good example because the danger here is that you not only shut down conversation, you not only shut down attempts to understand one another, but you prevent people from even engaging in this kind of work or these kind of discussions in the first place. You know, people are less likely to pursue careers or pursue um, lines of thought to pursue interests where they expose themselves to that kind of harsh judgment because it's it's so easy to be judged uh, right now. Well, I think that's right. And if you think about it, look, Whoopi Goldberg represented not only her own view, but a view of many people of color, that the only way that you can understand race is through the color of your skin. And it's a peculiarly American issue that we seem to want to apply how we see the world or our issues here in America to everywhere else in the world as if they all apply. And racism in this country is a significant issue, and it needs to be dealt with, as does anti-Semitism for that matter. But racism is defined differently around the world. And certainly Jews suffered from race and racial issues, uh, most notably under the Third Reich, where, the, where Hitler spoke almost 
solely in terms of race, the master race. And he, he was using what was then kind of a pseudoscience about trying to understand humanity and all the rest. But coming back to Whoopi Goldberg, she was applying a particular view of race and said, yes, the Jews suffered. It was inhumanity, et cetera, but we can't call it race. And she wasn't denying the Holocaust. She was applying a particular understanding to the Holocaust, which was fallacious. And it really, what it was, was a teaching moment that was totally lost. Imagine what would have happened on The View if you would have actually brought in a Holocaust scholar to talk about it and the work that could have been done to develop a different understanding. But instead, we had armed camps and she was suspended for two weeks, which was lost the moment. And one more thing is that she apologized. If you examine her apology, she was she was offering a chatat. She was publicly saying, I made a mistake. I didn't understand it. And here's my offering. And what happened was people sort of just pushed it off. It's a perfect example of what's happening in our society and what's been lost between the Western way of understanding sin and the, um, and the Torah's understanding. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And what happened there is exactly what should happen. And we should be celebrating what happened, that she said something, she learned something as a result of something she said, and we all had a chance to discuss an issue. And that's what you want to happen. And instead of viewing this as a uh, as an error or as a, an opportunity to suspend, which is, an, you know, a, just short of cancellation, you know, we should celebrate this, that, that she opened herself up to discussion and that we all benefited from it. There's no question. And instead, what happened was by the that night, you know, she issued one apology. She went on a, a late night talk show with Stephen Colbert. And one of the things she said was, I learned my lesson. It's a third rail. I'll never do it again. I'll never talk about this again. Now, mm. that is a signal. This is too big for me. I can't do it. And I and it's too risky. And so there are lots of people who are saying, why is it so risky? Whoa, well, the Jews must be controlling all of this. This plays into a different narrative, which backfires in ways that are really dangerous. Most of this country doesn't have a clear understanding of the Holocaust, doesn't really have any idea of its magnitude. And most of this country is looking at the world through very politicized lenses. And so it's a dangerous time, and this is precisely the time that the teaching of the Torah has something to say to us. You make a public admission, you deal with it, you talk about it, you acknowledge it, and then you move on. And societies have to do that as well. We're going through this now where people are saying we don't want to teach about slavery in this country. There's a sin that we need to acknowledge and talk about. But people are saying, let's just not teach it. Let's just close our eyes to it. Let's pretend that racism is a thing of the past and that it has no roots in our society. It's the same thing. It's, a, it's this denial of, of any attempt to, to learn from our mistakes. Yes. And, and along with that is the end of conversation. Right. of hard conversations. But I, I have to say that when I listen to people in Tennessee say, well, we're not going to study Mao's anymore, the book mm -hmm. Mao's, and talk about the Holocaust because it's too, it's too upsetting to our children. And the progressive universe make fun of that and they call them out. But where do they get the idea that there are triggers? The progressive universe uses that idea all the time. There's lists of terms that we can't use on college campuses and I, I, I certainly appreciate the sensitivity that goes into that. But what, that which is being lost 
is the ability to have a conversation. When whole percentages of people in this country will not talk about certain issues because they're afraid of what social media will do to them, they'll be eviscerated. And here we're watching January 6th and people won't testify because they're more afraid of the damage they could do if they testify against a former president to themselves, to their families, the hell that they'll put them through, then actually they're, they're more afraid of that than the federal government. This is an amazing time where we're not talking. We simply draw lines. And here you have this ancient ceremony of the chatat of presenting this offering and doing it publicly, acknowledging it, and it's being lost along with a whole lot of, uh, of other areas in our society. And I think that's problematic. Yeah, for sure. I and mean, the, the beauty of the Qatar, it seems to me, is that you're having you're showing faith in your community to listen and to um, understand and to better be a part of a community to to share the experiences. We all make mistakes and let's let's deal with it together, not let's um, isolate and and cast aside those who, who sin. I guess I want to take this to one last level in conclusion, because what's happening here is a model. Because the sin between the person and God, right? What this is saying is, is that this act, whatever it was that you shouldn't have done, affects your relationship with God. In other words, it's an offense against God. It's against the Torah that God gave, and therefore it's an offense against God. And you have to deal with God in order to alleviate the sin, in order to address it. Okay, what happens at the end? When the person has finished making the public declaration, when the priest has offered the sacrifice, then it's over. You walk away. And that's the model that we're missing, that there is an end to this, the price has been paid, and you get to move forward. The person is not labeled a sinner they acknowledge that the sin and the human being have may have, hopefully has learned from it and moves forward. And that I think is a great model for us. Yeah, it's a sign of progress, right? That we can act, we can all get better and we can be better together. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi. <laughs>